It's probably a combination. I think the history is really, it's great to be part of something that has actually got so much meaning. The, the crowd are phenomenal and I think it's a really humbling experience passing through certain parts of South Africa. It's obviously not a rich country but a lot of the time when you're in the cities you don't really notice that but you, you go through areas where like I'm not sure at what point of the course you're on but you pass by a school for disabled children and they're all out cheering and really happy and like you know willing you on and you kind of you really get a humbling sense and you're just so appreciative that you can be run, that you can run that my friend was Katrina Jennings and this is the Inspiration Runners podcast Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have an amazing athlete for you this week, London Olympian and quite possibly one of Ireland's greatest female ultra runners, Katrina Jennings. She graces a marathon time of two hours, 36 minutes and 14 seconds. And just two weeks ago, she came third in the world's most iconic ultra marathon, Comrades, on a difficult up course in an incredible time of six hours, 24 minutes and 12 seconds on the long 87.7 kilometer course. Katrina has had her knockbacks like every great runner, but her determination and self-belief to succeed is what sets her apart from most. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to our sponsors Excel Sports who are hosting one of the most scenic marathons and half marathons on the race calendar this year. It's the Great Wild Atlantic Way. The date is the 14th of July and the venue is Killy Beggs. This is one race you'll be glad you entered, so drop into their Facebook page or website to enter. With great pleasure, I give you Katrina Jennings. I know it was an amazing race you had. Congratulations on the comrades. Like, but I really want to strip it back and we'll get to that point mm. in your sort of running career. Like, how did you start? Like, what, what started you even lacing up to begin with way back? Like, your sporting background? Yeah. Was there an influence at school or? It was my parents, really. Um, my my mum and dad were really active and really sporty themselves and brought us to swimming. I started swimming when I was four or something. Um, like we, we swam from a really young age. I have two older sisters and we all went swimming. Um, and then even when the pool in Letterkenny closed for renovation, when I think I was probably about six or seven or something, mommy used to drive us into Derry every week to train oh, in there. Okay. And uh, like, I mean, she was really dedicated to our training because, you know, mm. kind of, I suppose when the pool reopened and we were members of Spilly Seal Swimming Club, we used to train three mornings a week at 6.30 a.m. So you know, mommy was the one that woke us up and brought us down and she waited while we trained to bring us back up so that we could, you know, get ready and go to school and be on time and everything. And um, it was really kind of fr- from there. it's great discipline swimming, isn't it? Like, people don't realise when you're really into even you side of competitive sort of swimming. It's yeah. hard work, like, they, they work you hard. It is, and I think it's brilliant as a kid, especially, because you develop your mm. whole cardiovascular system and you don't even realise you're doing it because, you know, it's so much fun and... And actually swimming is brilliant when you're, you know, I suppose a teenager because you get to go to the galas and, you know, mm-hmm. there's all these like trips away on a Saturday to, com- to competitions and like I repre- I like went through to Mosney for the community games representing Donegal and, you know, wow. that was brilliant and it's like, I suppose it, you know, in hindsight it was probably a great idea of my parents because I have no interest yeah. in going out drinking or anything but like, you know, it's uh, it was just a kind of a passion at the time. Which so even into your teenage years you were still swimming? Early teenage years, um, 
I my dad was a big runner and he also kind of um What does that mean, big runner? Well like, he ran for Letterkenny. No, he probably ran like five Ks and ten Ks in cross country. Okay, so a strong club runner. Yeah, and he yeah, he would have always had a kind of an interest in like, you know, he would have played GA and stuff when he was younger and okay. then he jumped on the um Stephen Roach and Sean Kelly bandwagon and bought a bike, you know, I suppose in the late eighties and started cycling a lot and um brought my older sisters out cycling and of course being the youngest I always wanted to be yeah, able to yeah. you know be good enough to go along and um so he brought us along kind of on the bikes and then we were my eldest sister Sinead was in we were in Derry for her to do a cycle race and one of the guys in Derry said to her why don't you do triathlons because you can obviously mm-hmm. swim you can cycle and you can run and so she, she did a triathlon in there and did like really well I think she I'm not sure if she won it but if she if she didn't win it she was <laughs> second like in her first ever and um wow yeah, so we kind of all then started, we followed her. In her Triathlon's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's brilliant. And like, it wasn't that popular back then. It yeah. was probably just early enough just coming to Ireland. But I mean, that was brilliant. It was <clears> so much fun. Like we literally, during the summer, we packed up the car and went somewhere every Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we raced a lot in the north because it was really popular up around, you know, Antrim and Derry. Yeah. And uh we actually joined a club in Coleraine Triangle Triathlon Club yeah, and well. Peter Jack was the kind of main man there at the time and just completely like really did encourage everyone and wanted them to mm. you know do well and because uh, that, that's it with triathlon people think it's outside of their reach you know but if you've yeah. got the swimming aspect of it yeah the other swimming's the hardest bit like swimming's the hardest because <laughs> it's probably the one that'll take you the longest to get up to speed with mm. if you're not good at it but like you're running and cycling, although cycling was always my least favourite because you'd spend so long on the bike. Yeah, and yes. like I'd always be brought out with Daddy and Sinead and Deirdre, like, and I'd never be able to keep up with them. And they had no mercy. Like if I wasn't able to keep up, they would just leave me on my own in the middle mm-hmm. of like nowhere. <laughs> so it was always, it was always a struggle for me to try and like actually, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> it helped you as well, put you on it probably bit. did in hindsight, you know. But did, you, did your dad enter the triathlon then? See the, no, Daddy. Actually, he might have done one. He's not a great swimmer. Okay. I think Daddy would have loved it. He did a few duathlons, and I think there would have been part of him that would have loved to have done triathlons. But he just he was doing breaststroke, so he would just lose so much time. I think we went down to Mayo one time, and he did one, but he lost so much time in the pool. He just spent the rest <laughs> of it, or the sea, or whatever it was. He spent the rest of it just like, you know, trying to catch mm. up. But um, yeah, like I mean, there was huge amount of encouragement and support from like our parents just to get involved and Brilliant. they you know anything we needed for sport so you remember your, always, like, your first triathlon then i do yeah i did it in i think my first one was the lean ball at Derry. Wow, i think it's still going but it's probably mm-hmm. changed a bit in the, in the meantime it was a good one to be your first one because it was a pool swim okay. and like you know it was actually the cycle and the run were pretty flat and we'd know the road well because we mummies from Inishones, um, in uh, like I suppose north of Donegal, mm. and to get mm. there, we were used to go down to visit Granny and Granted every Sunday, and to get there, <laughs> we'd be using that road. But the petrol used to be much cheaper in the north, so <laughs> Mummy would drop us off at Bert. She'd go into the north to get the petrol, and we'd like run for a while, <laughs> and then she'd come along and collect us. And I'm actually saying it right now, out loud now. It just seems so weird. Like that you just like drop your kids yeah. and like we used to run down I don't know if you know Derry but we used to run down the slab road and keep running and then she'd collect us at the other end of it and like Brilliant. it was just what sort of age were you then 
like really young the I mean, first triathlon like. I think I was about 12 like I was wow, young for was doing a triathlon like I mean if I saw a 12 year old now doing a triathlon I'd be thinking what are you yeah. letting that person do a triathlon for but you know I my son started when he was 9 so, wow. so he's on try try they have now which oh is really goodness. good yeah. um, introductory way of getting into it like, brilliant so. yeah and nine wow mm. but that's probably the age you need to be getting into it but swimming's the key for young people obviously yeah. getting them in and mm. teaching them how to swim properly I suppose like yeah you know what I mean yeah so. and just being I suppose efficient and um, just get, getting out of the water and being mm. really so what do you think of the triathlon then so you went on to a few more triathlons didn't yeah you? I did loads um Competed for Ireland a couple of times, you know, maybe still underage, all underage, mm. in fact. Um, but, and I loved them. I actually did love them. And, you, you know, it's such a nice community. Like, yeah. you know, it was actually really great, you know, traveling around and always meeting people. And it created a lot of opportunities. I actually went to an Olympic youth camp for triathlon wow. in, up in the north in um, Bally, where was it called again? I was Ballymena or somewhere, Ballymoney, one of those places. And I remember, like, you know, I suppose I was still very young, maybe 15, but I think that was just such a good thing to, to go to because it plants a seed when you're, yeah. you know, still really young. And while I probably didn't ever think that anything that I'd actually ever achieve it back then, it just seemed like, wow, imagine, imagine if you got to the Olympics, it'd be so cool, kind of thing. But now, saying that, when I went to college, I kind of didn't really train that hard you know yeah. I the first year I was there I probably kept it up a bit and then I think there was just with triathlon there there's a lot of training in it like you can mm. spend a lot of time training and I probably just maybe lost the interest a little bit it's very bit. competitive though isn't it when you're the yeah. one thing I found when I started to do triathlon was because I'm just a club runner yeah and you just run against yourself and your time yeah. I was never a yeah. competitive runner came into it pretty late Triathlon, I find, was a different goal altogether. Yeah, because it's really it, competitive. Doesn't matter who's next. So you're you're racing against that person, Absolutely. whether you're in the middle of the pack or the back. Yes, yeah. There's so many mind games coming on. Yeah. Like you run up and you're trying to hold your breath. And like, yeah, I know. Wrecked or am I wrecked? <laughs> you're you charades all the way through it. But at a very young age, though, I think you know that would really carve out a bit of competitiveness in you if oh, you were getting hugely, involved yeah. in that sort of environment. Yeah, and I mean, our parents. Mm -hmm literally expected us to win like they there was no mercy shown you're you're running home we're not picking you up literally, if you don't win yes. this i mean my mum still denies to this day but like we did like because we i suppose we got into them quite young and we were quite good at them so we generally win whatever age group you were in and i remember doing one up in um was it it was the it was the pino one up it was just outside belfast there and uh <laughs> myself and my older sister Deirdre I think Sinead had gone to college at this stage and uh, Deirdre got a puncture actually Deirdre went the wrong way on the bike or she got a puncture or something and something happened or so she wasn't doing great and I think I just had a really bad race and so we were coming in maybe I don't know wasn't even that bad but maybe fourth or fifth and like we've crossed the finish line and couldn't find mommy or daddy anywhere like they literally deserted us because we hadn't won <laughs> they were almost as if to say like okay well we're not interested in like dealing with losers brilliant you must have had a lot of support from them too oh the like, like the i mean gosh I, i'm slagging them now to say it, <laughs> to be fair but like i mean absolutely phenomenal and like you know the sacrifices they made by you know triathlon isn't isn't a cheap yeah. game you know yourself you need to have we wouldn't have had like really high quality bikes but we all had decent bikes you know, even all the swimming, you know, when you're in a club, you have to pay quite a bit for your, you know, your membership fees for the pool and things. And 
and it's like the, it's an expensive startup, isn't it? It like is expensive. Yeah, yeah, It's like it's literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose nowadays it's thousands, but like even back then it was a lot of money, and you know, like they just they Isn't wanted us to have the, the equipment to be able to race so you know they did but even the time races. commitment of going here there oh yeah you know i've saturday booked up following my son and the sunday booked up following my daughter yeah and yeah. you don't mind like you, you probably would like to maybe run a yeah. race yourself but you can't yeah. because you have to go and watch theirs but i suppose it's probably not that it's part of being a parent but like they just really i suppose they they must have loved it as well if you think about yeah. it because they they sacrificed a lot for it too so oh, they do yeah. but it it does start you off on that journey. Do you oh, know what I mean? Everyone yeah. is, per, like, when you make your parents proud, yeah. you know, that drives you on as well, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Sure, that's your motivation as a kid, really. Mm. I mean, that's nearly more of a motivation than winning. Yeah. I, I think, well, for me, it probably was anyway, because, you know, you wouldn't get very many compliments that often. Even if you did win, that we were short, like, Daddy in particular was quite short of <laughs> you know giving the compliments but if you got one from him my god were you happy with yeah. it like you know it really showed that you did well so you'd always be kind of seeking that out you know and yeah. then and I mean it totally I mean I, I will 100% say that it was what like made me like you know as competitive as I am and as passionate as I am about sport today you know brilliant mm. what what university did you go to then so I went to University of Limerick Okay, so it's, it's quite a sport it's background really, there, It's though, a fantastic it? university for sport, which is, yeah. you know, I'd love to go back now and actually study something else. Do they have a 50 metre pool down they, there? Yeah, they ha- at the time they had, it was like a 33 metre pool, okay. but they, they got rid of that and they built a new sports complex. I It was actually there for my last year, but the pool hadn't opened yet, but the gym and, you know, the indoor track and they've loads mm. of like, you know, all weather pitches and training. About three things. years ago, I was working down in Shannon and staying oh, in Limerick. Nice. Oh, yeah. I stayed there for two weeks in a great hotel, I don't know what it was. Every evening I came out and there was runners, there was triathletes, there was like, there just seemed to be a big, huge gathering of all of these triathletes and runners all over the place. Yeah. In big numbers, like it seems to be a very sporting... City, I think yeah. so, yeah. And even rowing is big down there. My <clears throat> sister Sinead lives down there now with her husband Sam and he, you know, he grew up in Limerick and would have been rowing his whole, all of his, you know, youth and even, you know, he... he did Sinead meet him first or did she meet rowing first? No, she met rowing first. She met did him she? through rowing. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, there's a lovely picture of the time, I think, the year Sinead won the World Championships, Sam also won. Mm-hmm. And wow. because of the timing of their races, I think... I can't remember which one of them. One was um coming down from the you know the ceremony of the, receiving the medal, and the other one was going up to get it. Oh, wow. And you just there's a picture of them on the podium, just like embracing, and it's actually amazing. They still weren't going out at the time, but like. Oh, right. <laughs> in fact, I think they both had <laughs> other halves or whatever. But uh, no, it was. It um, happened with that embrace. That it was, was the just, start of it. Yeah, and it was just actually. It's a really. I actually think it's a lovely picture. It's just it just captures the moment perfectly. Where the they universe were. pulling the two of them together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, where did you go from there then? And you were in university. You sort of drifted a little bit. You've got a lot of work on, and yeah. all other aspects of life starting to happen as well. Like. Yeah. Well, I moved to Dublin <clears> to work, and um, I suppose you know. I think we, I started missing it. I started missing running or triathlon or being competitive so I joined a running club up here and um just partly even just to get to know people as well but um, I joined Rathfarnham and you know joined the team so we were competing in the cross country and you know some of the what age were you then uh 20 
20, was I 21? Just, yeah, just turned 21, yeah. And I, like, I wasn't taking it seriously. I was just doing it because mm. I would have missed it too much if I didn't. Uh, there was no indicators back then? Or no, no. No, and actually my 5Ks and 10Ks are actually pretty bad. Mm. Like I wouldn't be competitive at those distances. Um, but, and I also was studying, like I was working, it was my first kind of proper job and I was also studying to be a chartered accountant. So that's pretty full on. Like yeah. you don't really have an awful lot of free time anyway. So um, I was busy doing other things too. But um, I kind of as the years went on and I, you know, was fully qualified. Um, I met Terry McConnell, who was a member of Ross Barnum at the time, and um, he was actually I was living in Chapel Lizard, and he said to me, "There's a group of us that train on Saturday morning in the park if you're interested in joining," and I thought, "Well, that's great because you know it's you know it's only over the road, and it'd be nice to join up with the group." And I think it was really Terry that could see that I had something that <laughs> I didn't see or probably no one else saw, to be honest, um, at the time. And he was just really good at, you know, I suppose he probably had the vision, but I didn't necessarily know it. And he was very good at, you know, encouraging me and, you know, making sure that I was turning up to training and being consistent and getting, okay. you know, the right stuff done. And He's a great mentor. He really was. Excellent, yeah. And um, then he'd kind of started talking about maybe moving up distance to half marathon and I did a couple of half marathons and then marathon mission kind of got off the ground um that was in 2008 no it was actually in 2010 because I remember their actual goal in 2010 was to get people qualified for 2016 olympics because you know they wanted to be realistic but sure look it was an absolute storming success and they ended up getting three people well four women qualified and one man but like I mean it just totally superseded so how, how did they select people for that then how, how did that you needed to that? have I think you needed to have like certain times for either your half or your full mm. marathon I hadn't drawn up full marathon at the time but I probably had whatever it was you needed to qualify for the half marathon so you must have been pretty successful at the half yeah I'd won the national title but, no, I <laughs> but it wasn't competitive it wasn't actually that competitive I think I think I only ran like a low mm. 119 so I mean, it wouldn't you wouldn't get a look in now if you ran a one nineteen, yeah. you know? But it was up. It was actually in Donegal. It was probably hilly enough course, but still, it wasn't like a super fast half mm. or anything. So it wasn't really just seeing something in you. You were sort of pushing out some yeah, good it was reps prob- and, and mile, yeah. miles or whatever you were doing around the park. You yeah, know, you had a, you were giving good indicators. There weren't yes. quiet indicators yeah. by yeah. the sounds of it. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but, but I suppose I didn't see. I didn't really see it yeah. myself, you know. So suppose um, if you're not thinking in that way, yeah, which I you wasn't, don't know what's out there really. Or, yeah, I was kind of more thinking, this is great, staying fit, you know, getting, it's, you know, mm. it's good for your head, it's a nice routine. I really liked the group, we had a really, really nice group. It was quite a small group, but everyone in it was just so, like, lovely, and it was just nice to go and meet them. And It's a great release that though, isn't it's it? brilliant. because you know, you're busy, you're, yeah. you're, you're, uh, happening. you're a career woman, you know, there's yeah. a lot happening. Um, especially when you have a group you can share yeah. that with. Yeah. You know, it's your social scene. Yeah. It's good having it, value. It was like, such a positive group. Like there was absolutely no kind of egos or anything. Everyone yeah. went and any all anyone ever wanted to do was help each other. And like some of the guys that, that would have been a little bit like, um, they might have been a bit older and say we were doing, I don't know, say everyone else was doing 10, 400s and Terry might say to me, we well, were doing 12 and I'd be like, great, you know. <laughs> but, um, like some some of the guys would maybe they'd have done eight and they take a break and then they'd 
run with me for my last two so that I wouldn't be on my own or like there was a huge huge Mm. amount of support and you know like very much I suppose where I ended up getting to in the end wasn't just like from what I did myself it was from all that support. It's funny the last couple of podcasts is hearing you speak there and one common theme that's come out is when they've eventually come to sort of success in their yeah what success is to them it's come from supporting, uh, surrounding themselves with the right type of people, mm-hmm. isn't it really? Because it's not, you get so far on your own, Yeah. you know, but that right, having the right support group, whether it's coaches, people who run with you, or good physios, or whatever that is around Absolutely, you. Absolutely, yeah. It's and a, like, a lot of that is luck, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I may never have met Terry, and I would never have, I probably wouldn't be sitting where I am today, but you know, like, I think... It's probably, you know, some people say you make your own luck. I actually don't really believe that. I think that you you get your fortunate at certain times and if, yeah. you, if you use those opportunities, then, you know, they may develop. I'd say some people, you know, and I probably come up with, with certain opportunities that I mightn't have quite taken in the past and maybe that would have led me down a different route or whatever. But I do think that you need that. Yeah. You need those people around There's you. There's loads of opportunities go past you all the time yeah. you're not aware of. Yeah. And you may cling on to me and you may not exactly you yeah. may never have laced up again but yeah. you did yeah i always think of Jimi hendrix never picked up the guitar yeah do you know what i mean it's that type of thing mm. do you know yeah. and um as you say it's, it's just sort of builds then i think everybody gets those opportunities it's whether or not firstly you recognize them secondly you act on them yeah possibly do you know what yeah. i mean mm. and they're just not very obvious when they first come along but that's all builds and gets momentum yeah exactly i suppose yeah so you got into the mission, the marathon yeah. mission was, okay, we've got a group of half decent runners, if you like, um, and we're going to put these, this group into training and we're going to try and qualify them for 2016 Olympics. This was 2010. Mm-hmm. You qualified for London. So that must have been amazing from the group's perspective and for your own personal sort of goals. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I got a massive... I, I actually probably had a couple of years where I had really, really positive, a, a number of very positive experiences, like one after the other. So um, because in 2010, I won the national half marathon championships, I got selected for the world half marathon championships in Birmingham because, you know, they said they'd take the, the winners of both because they were so close. Brilliant. So that was a huge step up for me. Like I really just, I mean, in a way, mm-hmm. completely just in at the deep end. I mean, um, you start thinking maybe slightly differently completely then? Completely made, it just completely <laughs> changed my entire mind fr- mindset. And then sitting in a room with effectively, you know, the top marathon runners in the country <laughs> in, with the marathon mission squad, looking around going, you know, half of me thinking, Why, what am I doing here? You know, I shouldn't be here. And you're sitting beside, you know, people that you know are fantastic marathon runners. And, mm-hmm. um, listening to them, getting tips from them and just realising, kind of slowly but surely realising, well, if you're part of that group, then someone's believing that you might have the same ability. And um, then I won the women's mini marathon in Dublin in June 2011. That's 10k. It was 10k. What time is that? Like uh, 35 25 or something yeah. like that again not a super hot time but there's a big it's a, like that's a big it's a big thing. it's a big one and sam actually i remember sam saying to me after it because sam lived in chocolates then as well and he said to me 
well, what are you going to do now? Because, you know, a lot of the former winners of the Women's Mini Marathon are Olympians. Mm. <laughs> You're on the radar, aren't they? And again, <laughs> but no, but I, and again, it's just those small comments that people make okay. that probably don't even realise that, like, you know, the impact it's going to have. Like, it really, again, that, that was another moment where I thought, well, yeah, he's right, you know. Um, and then sat down with Terry and thought, well, look, what can we do to maybe make this happen? Like, is it worthwhile actually giving it a bit of a shot? Um, and the plan was that I would run Dublin that uh, October. But um, I ended up picking up an injury and training. While it had been going good until probably the middle of July, kind of almost came to a complete halt because I can't even remember what the injury was, but I had an injury and I just trained in the cross trainer. But I was so dedicated to that cross trainer. Looking back, I have no idea how I did it. I was doing three-hour like stints on the cross trainer a day and stuff like that. But um. Just trying to hang on to your fitness. Trying to hang on to my fitness and making the comeback easier, you know. But mm-hmm. um, so it was. I remember it was two weeks before Dublin, and I thought, well, if I I still had my entry, and I thought, well, if I'm going to run Dublin, I really need to run. And the physio said to me, yeah, you can run for thirty minutes every second day. And I thought, well, gosh, that's not much good to me. <laughs> <laughs> but but I did that, and I suppose it engaged my running muscles a bit again. So I turned up to the start of the Dublin Marathon that year and Dick Hooper met me and he said, what are you doing here? Are you, are you not injured? And I said, no, I think I'm okay now, but you know, I'm just going to give it a go and see, you know, see what happens. And I ran 2.42 that day. And, wow. Yeah, and I thought, if I can run... The second I crossed the finish line, I actually knew that I could qualify. for. And I know yeah. that sounds... No, I understand. Like... But I just said, if I can run 2.42 and I haven't run since July, really, I've just done all the work on the cross trainer... I can definitely run the two thirty six if I get the training right, and that huge that was sense of self belief. You know, yeah, that I mean, was it was a decent, to you as well, oh, huge fair. surprise, yeah, and it was a decent enough marathon time, like you know, yeah. in hindsight now, of course, at the time I was like, oh, that's terrible because it's not the qualifying standard, but you know, looking back now, I that realize. Was 2011. Yeah. That was my first marathon, so. It was, was it? Yeah. Know, so we same. Not time, my time. <laughs> same year ran our first marathon yeah. then yeah um and again I, I kind of after that you know took stock with Terry again and thought well maybe if I cut down try and you know maybe go in later on a two you know we were trying to figure out ways that I could get more recovery time like with work I was still working full time it's still quite close like isn't it it's quite close now the time period so October 2011 to 2012 yeah it was, an, um, was July. it was April oh, August sorry the start of August, August. The 5th of August was the marathon but it is very, it's getting so how very How long did close. you have left to qualify then? So the, you needed to have your qualifying standard in by the end of April yeah, 2012. Although you were a good step, 2.42. I was, yeah, and I, I just had such confidence from the fact that I hadn't mm-hmm. run. Um, so I we earmarked Rotterdam as the marathon where I would, you know. Is there a reason why that was the one? Is it a quick course? It's a good it course. It's good and it's nice and flat. Um, reason, yeah, generally good temperature. The danger with Rotterdam is it can be windy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you're always going to have some sort of an unknown in a marathon. So, <laughs> like, wind, I think, is probably the better of a lot of potentially other evils. But, um, so, trained for Rotterdam. Everything went really How many, well. many sort of miles would you have been training then? Like... I think probably 80, 90 miles a week, mm-hmm. which would have been a big step up for me, really. But 
I suppose I kind of knew that was what I needed to do to get there and it was kind of like you're still working away when you're doing that yeah you're trying to find that balance between yeah that's, that's the challenge isn't it so I, I worked up until um I ran Rotterdam and I ran 236 yeah. 11 in Rotterdam and then after that I took some time off between yeah. then and the Olympics obviously like so it was yeah. great you had the opportunity so yeah. the qualifying time you had to run 236 didn't you you had to run so 237 Jeez. and there was already three, gir- th- three girls had already run sub 237 when I was lining up on the start line that day and in fact it was the last hurrah for anyone that was interested in it and there was a good a big group went over okay. from Marathon Mission and um, there was so myself Lizzie Lee Breach Connolly mm-hmm. I think Gladys Daniel was there I'm not, I can't, and then like a few others so we were obviously all trying to get the same time. So we set off, we started together and set off together. And um, after the first 5K, I just felt this is too slow. I need to crack on here. And I kind of just started like really, like I was way off the, you know, pace, my yeah. target pace. But I said, no, don't panic. Just, you know, t- you know make it back gradually. And uh, ended up having just one of those magic days where everything went perfectly you know mm. was that the second quickest qualifying time then yes i think it was wasn't it yeah it was yeah which then assured your place so how did that how long after crossing the finish line did you find that out did you know straight away i knew straight away because i knew what everyone else that must be a fish fist punch moment well it is and it isn't yeah, because the group of people that you were too like that. yeah and it was all still a bit unknown because right, okay. linda byrne had run she was actually the slowest time, but she was guaranteed a spot because she'd won Dublin. Yeah, and it doesn't go by the fastest times, but they, no, they and take you know that. what? It's also um, like I actually yeah. think it's quite an unfair system because there should be one race and you should be made race it, and it should be the first three girls mm-hmm. across the finish line with the time that get to go because at the end of the day, it's not a time trial. Yeah. In the Olympics. Or any other, you know. Because like, there's quite a bit of controversy comes along with that qualifying. There was a huge the amount of controversy, and with look, the men's side just went upside down altogether. Yeah, because they had the same, yeah. they had the same problem. It's not the runners' fault. No, and you know what? It's, it's terrible me. because the press create this whole yeah. like animosity between all the runners, and like you know, of course, they're trying to make it all very, I don't know, interesting and controversial. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's not nice. It's the being, system. It is the system, really. It I is suppose. the system. It's it's not like if you look at any other country, like in the UK have they have a qualifying race, the US have a qualifying okay. race. Okay, some of the countries that didn't maybe and, and to be fair, maybe the Athletics Ireland didn't anticipate having four women that had the standard mm. because it like well, they hadn't well, had one yeah. for ages. <laughs> but um you know, at the same time they should have learned from that and then you know, yeah. addressed it for twenty sixteen because that was very unfair and the guys and it's just so hard as an athlete when your fate is in the hands of, you know. So Rotterdam is is in April, is it? Was it in April? April, yeah. April, um, because then I remember you come up, our part of the country yes. to Newry. Yes. And you won the Newry half marathon. I did. In a phenomenal time of one fifteen. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah, and that was before they changed the course, and you still had that awful hill in it. <laughs> and a heartbreak hill. Yeah. Um, and then. Like you must have felt great then, because that's June. That's August. June. Yeah. You know. Oh, I was and I was flying. Like I mean, I was doing sessions, like, you know, I remember doing like a one mile followed by four two miles, and then a one mile with like sixty seconds intervals, and like my times were like 
and like for me yeah. they were I was flying I was just going so well like You're everything was just high. perfect yeah I had come off such a great positive um kind of run of months and everything was just going so well and then all of a sudden it was probably start of July started feeling a bit of a niggle ignored it because you know it's only a niggle mm-hmm. it'll be fine kept running and went to um we went to the pre training camp in St Mary's over in London I think was probably the middle of July and you know I was getting physio but I was as far as I was aware it was still fine it was tapering at that stage anyway so you know you weren't going to be doing the miles and kind of slightly worried but you know also completely convinced that you get to the start line adrenaline kicks in you don't feel anything you get through the race and you're going to suffer after but so what you know yeah and I could never have envisaged that what actually happened would have happened, you know, in the in the lead up to that. So clearly it was pretty devastating. Yeah, so for those who don't know then, so I've gone into London. London was an amazing Olympics, like and I'm sure on reflection about what happened there. So you had a stress fracture and then I had plantar fasciitis. Uh, and then okay. a result which resulted in stress which resulted in a stress fracture because I was trying to so run. you couldn't have got better timing no <laughs> do you know what I mean all that good work and I was just right on the doorstep of London 2012 Olympics it was, must have been amazing to go there for us like in Europe it was our biggest Olympics obviously being home Olympics and to be lined up there there's an element of doubt obviously of, would this annoy me or would it not I just need to I can start and it could be okay. I might start and the whole thing might just fall over. Exactly. Unfortunately, the latter happened mm. and um, you finish in a time of 3.22. So if you think of 2.36 for mm. 3.22, there must have been, I know at that time, it obviously must have been devastating. But on reflection, it must be a two-sided thing. like, Or is it just pure devastation? Because to be part of the Olympics 2012, that in itself such an amazing achievement yeah and I can agree with you and say that now but it has taken me like what it was was 2012 so that's seven years ago now honestly it has probably taken me six of those years to come to terms with it like I the 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 utter devastation completely unfortunately so completely outweighed the Mm. kind of all the joy and the you know the great achievement that actually making the Olympics was and I suppose you know it was just so traumatic for me and I just couldn't like seem to come to terms with it and I couldn't even think about it because it would just upset mm. me so much um, and you know so many people said to me oh but like you could have dropped out and you didn't and that's you know that's that is great that you managed to you know keep going and just finish it on finish what you set out to do but like that's very little consolation when you're you know you're so far removed from where it is that you thought you would run and where you ended up running and um but look now I look back on it and I think gosh I had a very unique experience as well because like you know running through the streets of London with like every single person on the streets chanting my name like that was actually now I can look at it and go that was a pretty phenomenal experience Mm -hmm. too and the like the sheer energy of the crowd and their like willingness and um, like you know they were just short of basically just getting this, on like shoving yeah. me along the course you know and that was like really a positive experience 
in that respect but obviously just completely different to I what suppose I the form you're in as well yeah. you know you're so confident yeah it'd be different if you are 90 percent fit yeah problem being is you're 110 percent fit life, yeah you know hitting that pb at 115 just mm. before that yeah everything going so well you really want to uh, yeah so i suppose like you know now we're going to talk about the comrades very shortly like but um you know when i seen an irish runner on, on the comrades it makes you proud mm. to see somebody on the podium i suppose that's what you want to give back isn't it like so yeah. that's what makes it so difficult because yeah. you know you had it in you i know and I, of course i was never going to make the podium i wasn't under yeah, no yeah. illusions that yeah. i was going to be a podium in the olympics but like you know i had my own personal expectations and goals and i wanted mm. to run and do my country proud when i was wearing the vest and you know give it my absolute all on the day and like be able to look back and be so proud of what i had done or achieved by making the olympics um but I guess in a, on a positive note that what did come out of it was that um, a, a guy that one of the guys that used to train with me, Graham Hopkins, um, said after very shortly after London, you know, this is amazing. I was like, what are you talking about? This is awful. <laughs> he said, well, now we know you're going to be a brilliant ultra runner because we know you're you're fast and now you've got the what it takes, you know, the, the exactly. <laughs> I, I kind of thought he was a bit cracked, to be honest. <laughs> But um, as long as people around you know you better than you do, <laughs> yeah. But it's just like it's wow. For the wrong reasons, um. So it's funny because even though I had no intention of running an ultra when he said it, and um, but it stuck with me a little bit. It has always stuck with me. And he was particularly like enthusiastic about comrades because he had run comrades himself and he absolutely loved it. And because he was so enthusiastic about it, you know, I couldn't help but be intrigued. And, mm. um, you know, I suppose I was, I, I kind of then became one of those like races that I wanted to do um, at some point in my career and my running career. And uh, like I had kind of looked at it a couple of years up to this point and never felt that I'd done the right training or that I wasn't mm. prepared enough. And this year I just thought, you know what, I don't think I'm ever going to feel fully prepared for this. So I just give it a go and see what happens. Coming back to straight after London, mm. it sort of knocked you over. Um, on f- what made it even worse was you couldn't run. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's not as if you could like sort of jump back onto the saddle mm. to help you sort of grieve with it as well. Yeah. You were injured then. Yeah. So I mean, I just was so 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 anxious to get back as fast as I could. I had the stress fracture, um, that was fine. I remember when it was by kind of, by November, I was kind of back jogging. Went to Portugal for a training camp that Christmas or that, you know, um, I suppose start of January of 2013. And when I was there, I got a stress fracture in the other foot, which I just couldn't believe because I hadn't done, like I had done so little running. I was actually quite close to not going to the training camp because I wasn't really fit enough. But I said I'd go and enjoy the warm weather and just enjoy some runs and have a good time as well. And, um, you know, it really just completely, that was that was almost tougher than the first one because it was just a, a double yeah. whammy like um so, you when you were dying. yeah completely and you know everyone was just saying you need to just completely take a break now from running you your body isn't able for it i'd probably just run myself into the ground you know um so at that point i was chatting i suppose to a few people but one of them was my sister and you know she was saying actually rowing wouldn't be a bad one to start because you have to do some weight training in rowing which builds bone okay. density as well and of course, it would have been the ultimate dream. So I just thought, you know, to, to make it in a boat with Sinead to go to, to the Olympics in Rio. She had obviously won the World Championships in 2001 and had also won a, 
in a single in the single school, which isn't an Olympic event, but it also won a silver and a bron- and a bronze, you know, other world championships. So she was like she's a fantastic athlete and really just wanted to get to the Olympics and it was unfortunate, you know, when I suppose a number of different cases with other athletes that they were that they just didn't quite make it but were always very close to making it. Mm-hmm. Um so I kind of threw everything into it and decided I'd give it a really good shot and um it was actually good enough timing because it would take my mind off running and still, you know, fulfill that need for activity mm-hmm. and you know Do you feel like you got bit by that then in two thousand and twelve? That like this was a potential avenue you could take to get into Rio? Yeah, I did a little bit, but you know what? It was funny because I never loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was always... And I don't know if it's because I had this, like, massive goal, which probably put way too much pressure on me from the very start, from the very first time I sat on an ERG. Um, whether that kind of took the love out of it and it was just very much a... Too much hard work. A goal and mm-hmm. no messing about, just this is all... There's one thing you need to achieve out of this. Real release and social aspect yeah, you're getting from the sport. Yeah, and like, I'll go out and have a little paddle mm. and have a bit of fun and enjoy it. Because you have to, you have to love it. Because you have to love it because you're making so, so many hard. sacrifices. Yeah, like you're basically giving up so much. You're missing out on mm. huge things. Like you know that if you don't love it, you're just not. And it was actually Sinead that ended up. You know, I I moved to Cork and everything to train with the national team and. Um, like Sinead at one point said to me you need to love the journey you can't just be doing this for the goal you have to be able to you might achieve the goal so if you don't you have to at least enjoy the journey and when she said that I was like well I'm pretty miserable so (laughs) 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 I think I'll give up the journey (laughs) and like that was actually hard because I wasn't used to just giving up on stuff and I felt like I was giving up but like I mean looking back now I can say I I wasn't necessarily giving up I was just acknowledging that it wasn't going to happen and I just cut it early and I just, you know... So that was a good decision. That was a great decision, yeah. I mean, I was too small to be a good rower. And, you know, as it turned out, um, you know, Sinead obviously did meet or hook up with Claire Lamb, who's also a fantastic rower. And the two of them got to Rio and did just fantastically well there. And, you know, finished sixth in the final, which was a record for Irish rowing as well for women. And, you know... It was just so fantastic that Were she. Were you there? No, I didn't travel. No, no, and um, we watched it at home. We had a bit of a kind of a party in other nights. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So, two thousand fifteen, then mm-hmm. you decided to pick an ultra. You wanted to do it. I did actually. No, I didn't decide to do that. I was actually. I got a call asking me was I interested, and I thought, well, I'm not going to turn up the. I won't turn down the option. The opportunity yeah. to get another Irish vest. Even though it was only six weeks before it, so I really didn't have enough time to prepare. Okay, so how did that? How did you come onto the radar for that? Then were you running back running then, and had you done any marathons or anything? I had that? done. Had I done mar? I must have done. I must have done. Something I can't actually remember what. Padua was. Fifty k, the World Championships, fifty k. Yeah, so that was a track one, wasn't it? No, it was <clears throat> a five k loop. Okay. So ten laps of a five k loop. And um, you've done amazing, that. yeah. I did much better than I thought I was kind of than I should have given like, the preparation and everything. So, you think preparation, heats, and things like that a big factors for us? Like, you came fourth, I think I came fourth, yeah. Did you is, something tells me it was like three hours? 30. It was three, it was actually 331. 
um, because I was on, I was actually running pretty well until the last two laps and I kind of just blew up a bit then, but also other girls were blowing up, which was great because I was able to pick up a few places in the last yeah, lap, right. which I didn't expect. Um, so well, how did you feel then crossing the line with that 50k? Did you think that, like, did something saw a light switch on about ultras in any way or form? No. Not really, because I, I always knew the marathon was better, I was better suited to the marathon mm. than anything else. And because it's not that much longer than Marathon, I just thought, you know, it was just, I, I guess. You were just running know. off the back of the Marathon, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that, I don't think that was the trigger. Like, um, in the following, the following April, I ran Rotterdam. And I, I mean, I didn't run that well. I, well, it was a 2.44, but it wasn't like, you know, a fantastic run. But, um it was about three or four weeks later and I was going over to Cambridge to visit my friend that lives over there and or lived there at the time and there was the Wings for Life run was on so I thought oh that's such a deadly concept I'd love to run so Wings for Life I'm not sure if you're familiar with it but it's um everyone all the runners start and then half an hour later a car starts you have a timing chip on your bib and once the car passes you and picks up your chip you're out oh god so it's basically the last man running in front of the car and then once the car passes you're yeah, gone that one, yeah. so I, I thought so it was such keep, a cool concept just keeps on going until yeah and it keeps increase every I think it was every 30 minutes it increases its speed so you know you're not going to be running indefinitely you will get caught but you know just mm, you're it's really the last person no? exactly yeah so um, I thought that's such a cool concept I'd love to do it I'll just give it a go and sure I'm over in Cambridge anyway so I'll, I'll try it and um, I jumped in and uh, like no real idea of how long I was going to be running for and was quite unprepared because I had no gels or any sort of thing to drink or you know any sort of nutrition and um, because it was sponsored by Red Bull the only options on the feed stations were water or Red Bull and I was like well I'm not <laughs> drinking Red Bull in a race and like you know I was drinking water but sure, that's not much good mm-hmm. um, I ended up running 55 over 55k that day disappeared in war yeah, well, I did start drinking Red Bull as well, like towards the end. <laughs> I was like, I just give me anything at this point. There's a car the I started drinking it. And um, it's funny because the guys in the bike, <laughs> there were two guys with me because I was the lead female. They were on the bikes with me. And then yeah, when the, the car passed, it was David Coulthard that was driving the car because, you know, of course, Red Bull were getting yeah, all the yeah. like, top uh, Formula 1 drivers in to do it. Sorry, the race was actually also taking place. It's quite a big Red Bull event then. Yeah, it takes place all over the world. It starts the same start time all over the world. And you're so you're racing everyone in the country that you're running, but also um, kind of virtually throughout the world as well. I think I was ninth in the world with my time or with the distance that I got. But anyway, so we got into the when I was passed and got into the bus to bring us back to the start and the guys in the bike just threw on the bikes and came in as well. And they like opened their like jerseys and started like throwing all these gels on the ground. <laughs> I was actually looking at them going, are you kidding me? <laughs> Could you not have said you want a gel? Because I would have like, I actually like was so close to just like ripping them all open and drinking them on the bus because like I was totally depleted. Um, but anyway, I suppose, you know, like joking aside, that experience made me realise that yeah, I can I can sustain. It's just a great ability of how your body's able to feel itself. Yeah, but I can also sustain just mm. dis- like distance. I'm not 
completely done at a marathon distance. Yeah. I can keep going. That was that was that was. So that's quite unique when you haven't trained that way. Yeah, I hadn't done with. any of that training. Because normally you'll hit the twenty six miles and, and go bang, right and done. It starts. Yeah, your body will just yeah. go well. That's even mentally, like it can be tough to even go past that sometimes. Yeah. Like, and like it was tough because I was like starting to really go where the hell is this card? <laughs> but um, and the great thing was that I won a I won the prize was that you win you can choose anywhere in the world to run it the following year and it's all expenses paid so it was actually a brilliant price wow, it's a free holiday to California California <laughs> yeah. you had to race again I had to race again yeah and how did that go I was second that time but I was actually I got pneumonia uh, I, I went to Rotterdam again that the next year and when I was in Rotterdam I was really struggling to breathe but just didn't really understand mm. what it was and thought you know the way sometimes your breathing just doesn't go right on the day but I got when I came home I was ended up actually it was in work and I one of the girls sent me to the doctor because she I just couldn't stop coughing and I went to the doctor and he rushed me immediately to A&E because he let me on the nebulizer and everything and I actually ended up passing out in A&E so I'm lucky I went when I did but um, you I haven't had much luck have you <laughs> <laughs> but like the thing is you, you have to start like I, I actually don't even like telling people these stories because yeah. they just think you know like athletes, you know what, they make excuses all the time and you know when you're talking about I'm not so sorry that I'm you know it just sounds like an excuse I, I think you know and, it, and people do hold things at that back but it's very important for people to know that people everybody struggles of course do you yeah. know what I mean and, and it's like that whole celebrity sort of thing that and these great runners, they have no issues. They don't have injuries. They, they don't do, catch ammonia. Yeah. They don't get colds. Yeah. And I, always but, at the worst time. Because I was actually in good enough shape going to the Rotterdam mm-hmm. that year. And I was really excited to see what I would run. Because I hadn't run a fast marathon in a long time. And to get pneumonia. Like, how the flip did I get pneumonia? I have no idea. Your immune system But I was actually bad, knocked like. down by a car <laughs> 10 days before. <laughs> so I was wondering if maybe it was the shock from that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, sometimes your body... Was that a train and run? Yeah. I was out at lunchtime from work and I was running back to the office and of course you know the way you're always trying to get those extra couple of miles in, if you have the time and uh, I just jumped a red light and a car came flying up and hit me so it was completely my own fault but um, it did shock me quite a bit you know. You've had three very close national champions. I know yeah. Like is it three years in a row? Yeah. And um, you've come second. Yeah. You've been first two to Laura. And um, Laura's actually from Kilkeel, right, where yes. I'm from. Yeah. Um, she's somebody else who has flourished late on as well. Do you think it's helped you having that period away for such, for such a long period away that you, you know, it wasn't really until your later twenties that you started hitting the marathons and going out to London and having that time away when you were in college, etc. Because mm-hmm. um, I know some people who have been hard at it since they were 12, 13, 14, all the way through. And mm-hmm. then they get into their late 30s. They're, they're almost burnt out. Do you know? Yeah, but those people also have had brilliant careers. Mm. You know, some of them have had really good 5,000 career. You know, yeah, they've been towards... Yeah, a lot of track. Yeah, a lot of track. The, the track runners, they sort of moved to that and then yeah. moved to the longer distance. Yeah, so. and they'd have been at World Championships, Europeans, Olympics mm. in the shorter distances and then they stepped up to the marathon and they had a couple of years at the marathon and then maybe they had done enough mm. at that stage. I suppose even mentally. I suppose it's hard then. You've, you, yeah, you've it's achieved it's so different. much. I think it's different. I don't think yeah. that the perfect formula is that you don't run until your late 20s. No. I actually think that's a bit of a risk. 
Um, I think for me, I think I was fortunate in that I was so active when I was young and I, I never fully went away from it while I probably wasn't competitive at it um, in my early 20s. I still maintained it and then I just made a decision, right, I'm going to get back into this. But like, I, I don't... But hunger has to be a big part of it, obviously. Oh, yeah. So I suppose if you're at that age and you've achieved so much... You know, it's very difficult then to keep on maintaining that achievement as well. Like, yeah, and even for me, like having a marathon PB of two thirty six was actually tough because, you know, it was like it was going to be really hard for me to kind of get another PB. <laughs> now, as it turns out, I'm actually pretty confident that I would run another. I think I'd actually run that again or faster if I ran if I had the right preparation for a marathon now. But um, do you, why why do you say do you think you're over, all over stronger? Yeah, and I think I'm a much more, I think I'm a much smarter athlete. Mm. I've learned, I've definitely learned the hard way, but I've learned a lot. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it, to learn yourself? Everybody's yeah. the same. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what level you are. So many of my friends now, we've all been running around eight, nine, ten years. Mm. Um, I think there were six of my friends put the sub three in Belfast wow. there. Oh, yeah. And I, I was like, they must have started this race <laughs> <They're on through laughs> the you know everybody's learning so much about themselves yeah. but it, it's just that there is no formula you have to you have to learn yourself you have to learn it and you know what as well every athlete is so different that you couldn't mm. even say well i think this is what you should do because how you know everyone reacts so differently to training and some athletes need especially for endurance athletes some athletes need lots of just shorter faster stuff because they'll automatically have the endurance and then other athletes all they need is the endurance because they have the speed. So yeah. it's really hard to know. And even as a coach, I'd say, um, you know, hopefully one day I'll start coaching people and like I would love to, you know, give back to the sport. But like I do think that the, that being a coach is just as hard as being an athlete because yeah. you're trying to find this perfect formula for someone that. It's understanding where their gaps are and how what yeah. works for them, isn't it? Really, exactly. It's so different. Yeah. That's why plans really out of magazines, etc. They just don't work. They don't Obviously, apply. if you're just new to running, it's going to improve you because you're just, it's yeah. not you running. Exactly, yeah. You know, but yeah. when you hit that plateau, then really you need you some You need to tailor it. Yeah, mm -hmm. really do. That brings you then to, I call it the comrades. I'm going to get stick for calling it. Well, I, can't. I think that's what they call it in South Africa. Oh, do they? I'm sticking with that then. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the comrades, comrades, it's not the no, comrades. But I think we, they actually do say comrades in South Africa. Okay, I'm, I'm saved with that one then. <laughs> Um, so you sort of give us a bit of a story there of why it was on your radar and um, what made you pick this year then? Because I just felt, well I had run Rotterdam in April and I ran 2.38 which was the fastest I'd wow. run since 2011 and I thought, you know what, I'm definitely in good shape, I'm never going to have perfect preparation or I probably won't because I don't really know what perfect preparation is so I just give it a shot at least it'll like answer the question in my head am I going to be good at it or am I not mm -hmm. and it was partly you know just to find out what it would be like or how, how my body would react or how how I would actually you know perform because it was the up course I know yeah. if I was going to the comrades I'd be, I know what, I'd be picking the down course um, do you think that because it's steeped in history isn't it it's the most iconic Mm -hmm. ultra marathon in the world mm -hmm. is it 87 kilometers yeah like it's that? well it was 80 it varies between like 87 and 90 because yeah. of the route where they finish and things so it was 88 well it was 87.8 or something okay, i think so for, for, for there's a lot of history in that and yeah. like the gun start off and you got the 12 hour finish mm -hmm. I, I don't know what i've I seen something there i was hoping 
remember what it was like how many finishes finished in the last hour yeah huge i think okay 25 percent might sound high but a huge percentage finished in the last half hour like it's unreal isn't mm-hmm. it like there's so many people this i had three friends over doing it as well yeah um so it was great when i seen an irish runner you do you feel proud yeah you know, I didn't even know you. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's one of ours. Yeah. We made the podium of the comrades. And yeah. there's a couple of people who are in Uganda as well. They were running me. They were actually going over okay. to run it as well. And I was like, did you, any of you always make a podium? No. Yeah. One of ours did. <laughs> and, which, which is brilliant. So it's an up course. It's like, is there like five big hill stages? Five big hills, 4,000 foot of elevation gain. But there's yeah. also a lot of downhill. I think there's like 2,000 foot as well of downhill, which might sound nice, but it means that you're always running uphill or downhill. Yeah. There's no flash. Do you find that helps using the different muscle groups? Because there's quite steep downhills in it as well, yeah. though, isn't there? And I, I actually like running downhill, but you know, it's mm. a different story when you've run 60k and you're trying to run freely downhill and yeah. the quads are taking a beating. What's the temperature like? Uh, it started at about 16 degrees, but it started at 5.30 a.m and um, <laughs> it did get up to 28 degrees that afternoon so but no, I think for me by the time I was finished I finished around just before 12 midday I like I'd say it was mid low to mid 20s like I don't remember thinking I'm really hot but I mean I think at that stage I was probably thinking <laughs> I'm nearly dead <laughs> so the heat wasn't exactly a factor but like I have to say of great admiration for the people that did run it in 12 hours and we're running through the midday sun the mid-afternoon sun and then like you know continuing to run and put all that effort in for just yeah. like such a long period it's a of lot time. of pressure on them as well is that because yeah. that last hour i have to make this yeah run. and like as you're running along there are like checkpoints every so often you'd see like the big really big signs in the road okay. saying next checkpoint you know, cut off time, whatever it was. And like, you know, I knew it wasn't going to affect me, but like, I did feel, gosh. A lot of anxiety involved there. Yeah. And like, they had all the coaches parked at the cutoffs so that, you know, if you didn't get there in time, you were just on a coach and you had no choice in the matter, you know. Uh, and particularly, I think, which is the really harsh one, is there's a final checkpoint at the top of Polly Shorts, which is the very last climb and you have about 8k to go till the end. So if you get through that checkpoint and you're still within the cutoff and you don't make it to the end, I think that's, oh it's cruel but of course that's what makes it as well yeah. that makes it because the it goes by the gun start as well so if you're yeah. like 10 minutes behind even getting across the line it's old school mm. it should be easy it's not a check time. time like so you might yeah. be 10 minutes down even before you start absolutely easily because there was over twenty thousand people mm. running it what did you do differently going into that race then from a marathon you're smiling here it's like nothing <laughs> <laughs> it genuinely had really had very little idea of what i was doing um, I did read on, like I tr- tried to do a little bit of research on the Comrades website and saw there was a, there was a program on it that was suggesting you do a 60k race four weeks out. So I did, I did 60, sorry, not a 60k race, just a 60k run in training. So I said, well, look, I better do this because, you know, I'd need to see if I'm able for the distance. And um, I was actually in Hong Kong at the time because I went there with my husband when he moved yeah. in April and, you know, as you know, I'm moving permanent or moving more permanently in, in, um, in July. Um, so it was extremely hot. It was extremely humid and Hong Kong is very hilly. But I thought this is great because it's going to be hilly in Comrades, so this is a good enough test. And I did the 60K and I swear I actually 
couldn't wait to get back to the apartment. Like I could, when I by the time I got back to our apartment, I thought. I, I could not run another kilometre, never mind another 30 kilometres. So it kind of, it won, in one hand, I was like, well, I got it done. And actually my time wasn't bad versus how the hell would I do another 30K? Uh, but I suppose, you know, it was it was probably still a good, when I was thinking mm. about it logically and went, well, I'm not going to have the humidity or like that extreme heat. Like, you know, and okay. I got to 60K and you know yourself when you're in a race and there's people around you and you're getting handed drinks and, you know, all those like better you've done ones. it with no support or anything you've exactly, done it yourself yeah. in worse You'll do it, yeah. and harsher conditions really yeah. next to you you're going to get out the next few miles yeah <laughs> but that was like basically the preparation I had done I was trying to I was conscious I needed to get a few more longer runs in because funnily enough I was mm. saying I didn't think we were saying we didn't think I'd done enough long runs for Rotterdam this year and I was like oh god what the hell <laughs> I haven't done enough long runs for a marathon am I going to do 87 or 88k Um. so I probably did do like a few more say three hour runs and um like what I was trying to do was you know the back to back like a three hour run on a yeah, Saturday yeah. maybe a 90 minute or two hour run on a Sunday I, I got about important three important to get used to the second half of the race isn't it yeah exactly now if I was to train for it again next year I would definitely train differently but you have to learn yeah. somehow so you know I did learn a lot from it although you have to be careful though because you had such a good <laughs> you had such a good result I know you don't want to overtrain. um as mm. a fine line um, what did you do for fuel then because you, you don't really take much fuel on your training runs, do you? No, I don't really ever take anything, really, to be honest. Mm. But um, I just used, I decided after a lot of deliberation that I would use the same strategy as a marathon and hopefully it would get me there. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was a bit of a risk, I suppose, but I had nothing else to really base it on. So the I was really fortunate in that I was running for the Nedbank Green Team. And part of that, as well as the fact that they took extremely good care of us through the whole period that we were leading up to the race and you know after the race during the race itself they were doing seconding for us so we had we could make up our own drinks bottles and give it to them and uh, you know to be received at a certain mark so the first station was at 20k and then pretty much 10k thereafter so in a marathon get it every 5k so I thought well I'll just um I would in a marathon I'd either take a drink or use a gel so I decided to strap a gel onto the drink and I drink the drink when I got it and, <laughs> and save the gel until halfway to the next station so that was my strategy it didn't quite go like that to be honest with you because I did miss a lot of the drinks and um uh, yeah I just I don't know you must have been feeling good then how, how soon before the race started did you arrive I arrived the previous Monday okay. um my mum had never been to South Africa and uh, I just rang her up and said, would you like to come? Of course, she jumped at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we went out a few days early and um, just kind of had relaxed. Had acclimatised yeah. as well. Like, so. um, we did a safari one of the days, which was pretty cool. Um, and uh, just basically, yeah. Just, just chill out and relax. Yeah, didn't do a did lot. you feel nervous going into it? It's, not, it's a different thing, not isn't at all. it? Because I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous until I got to the team hotel on the Thursday. And then I started, and I, it was really, like, I i don't usually get nervous before a race, or not at this, not anymore, you know, maybe years ago I might have, but, um, so it was really, I knew I was nervous, and I kept thinking, why am I nervous, this is ridiculous, but I think it was purely the unknown, there was so many unknowns for me, had I done enough training, What? how was I going to fuel, what was my fueling strategy, what was my pacing strategy, was I actually going to get to the end, before I left Ireland, I really wanted to be in the top 10, because of just the history of getting you know the gold medal and I would really have loved to have gotten one of them but 
when we got, when I got there then on the Friday we went to a press conference where the top 10 seated ladies were interviewed and listening to them I sat there and I turned around to my mum and I said <laughs> well I won't be in the top 10 anymore anyway I might go for top 20 um so it, like that totally just I mean in a way it was probably good because I literally had zero expectation after that yeah yeah it wasn't even I didn't think I'd make the top 10 I mean I probably still had a hope that I would make it, but I didn't. It's, it's such a different dynamic, isn't it, than the marathon? The marathon is within a controlled time limit. You can sort of, like, things happen and you have to react to them, but once you go past the marathon distance, you it is such an unknown. Yeah. And you really have to adapt to how you're feeling more so than these structured yeah. sort of plans. When you're training for a marathon, you will definitely do 24 miles. Like, yeah. my first marathon, I'd actually run or my second marathon, I suppose, I'd run more than that. I'd, ru- I'd run actually over the marathon distance. So I knew I was, all, I was always knew I was yeah. going to finish the marathon. But do giving it down just doing that job, yeah. isn't it really? You know roughly what pace you're going to be able to maintain. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly what your feeling strategy is. And you know, like even though you might have run a marathon before, you know, you, you have a very good idea what to expect. I literally, honestly had no idea what to expect with this. Mm. Like it was so, everything was unknown. Did it feel different at the starting line then? Because yeah, you're, you're racing competitive, but this is a totally different thing. <laughs> but I was really relaxed. Mm. And I'm, I am, and I'd always want to make sure that I gave my best and do my best on the day. But I was very relaxed because I just thought, just standing on the start line, and I thought, well, it doesn't really matter if I mess up the start because I have plenty of time to make <laughs> up for it, you know. <laughs> Genuinely, I thought, I have plenty of time. Um, which again helped and, and, and I did eventually decide that I was going to run by heart rate and that was how I was going to control my pace mm-hmm. because I do have a tendency to go off too hard at the start of a race and then try and hang on for dear life and it's just a horrible way to run and I was determined to enjoy comrades as well as much as I could because I knew I said like I'm, this is an amazing opportunity I'm here I'm in South Africa I'm going to run this iconic race I don't want to hate it I want to enjoy it as much mm-hmm. as I can and you know see what that, see what that takes or see where that takes me so I set off and I was, I was actually, I was talking to someone afterwards and they said, you were, at, you were at, in seventh at the first checkpoint at 10 miles. And so you had already achieved your goal of top 10 if that was what you wanted. Well, I, uh, that was the first I realized. I didn't know, I had no clue where I was in the race at right, the 10 okay. mile mark. There are literally, like when there's that many people you know, running around you, it's really hard to spot the girls. And it was dark as well. It was dark for the mm. first two hours. So you literally are just running along with no. Well, what's the roads like then? Is the roads on? You have to be conscious, I suppose. Where you're, no, it was actually it fine. The road surface was fine. Okay. You're pretty much running on the dual carriageway for like a lot of it, which sounds terrible, but it's as you, when you're coming out of Durban, you're up pretty much on the motorway, and then you do come off it and you take I suppose side roads, but it it like the surface is perfect. I didn't yeah, like there yeah. were times when the surface wasn't good, but it was rare to be honest. Like yeah. the surface And was how good. you talked about your heart rate there. What type of heart rate do you sort of run at? So I was kinda I was I was actually close enough to where I would run as a trait. like I decided I'd run I'd keep my heart rate below one sixty till yeah. halfway and see where that took me and see was that too hard at halfway? Would I need to like maybe ease off or would I be able to push on or would I just sustain? But I thought yeah. that gives me enough like by, I, I knew I was very confident that I could run 160 heart rate and, and be reasonably comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was going to give me scope to make a decision at halfway whether or not it was appropriate or not. And when you're running a marathon, what type of, what's your heart rate sort of setting up? 
I, I don't know. I don't wear the heart rate yeah. monitor for racing. Because sounds quite high. One sixty. I thought you were going to say around one forty five there, or one fifty. No, my still seems to be well, yeah, my, quite a high um, threshold. My lactate threshold is about one seventy two. Wow. So it's that is so well developed then. Well, you know what? I, 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 I actually don't know. I think you know some people have high heart rates, some yeah. people have low heart rates. I know guys that are phenomenal athletes, and they've their lactate threshold is like a lot lower than mine, but they're yeah. way faster than I am, you know, so I think it oh, yeah, varies. Yeah. It's not that it's better in any way form. Exactly. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, and every athlete so. is different. So I knew, like, I was well below. I knew I wasn't going to be producing lactate. Like, I run at 160 in training. Yeah, I'm not working hard enough. I just identify that. Like, my heart rate is about 145 in the marathon. But it oh, depends God, on your right. training. You know, whatever your training is, it sort of develops that heart rate. So I yeah. do a lot of, like, 130 sort of training. To try and get your body to burn fat rather than, oh, yes, rather yeah. than sugar. Um, but I go in and out different types of training. You know, another training where I'm running hard and fast and doing intervals, mm-hmm. and then my heart rate does go up, obviously. Like, so you can, yeah. You, know, you it, can achieve those higher rates, yeah. Yeah. Mm, I, don't, like, I suppose, even though it's, we should be kind of, I suppose, know a lot more about heart rate than we do, I kind of really only know my own zones. Yeah. Oh no, and it's so different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so tell me about the the race then. Like with, like I'm trying to get a feeling of how different it is because it's such a it's this iconic race. I came in here and you know, and it is, and there's all this history and all around it. But as you say, it's on the carriageway. No, it's not. So the first two hours were probably on the no, right, not okay. even like I'd say the first hour, the first hour was probably on a a motorway. And then you turn, you take a slip road off it, and then you're actually on. Now it's all on road, yeah. but they aren't like it isn't a like it's not a major like you know highway or anything. And and at parts it's pretty narrow because the entire once you get off the motorway or the Joe Carjo whatever it is, the entire rest of the course is, is, is supported by like however many thousand South Africans okay. they line each side of the course for the entire route they just don't do the bit coming out of Durban yeah. because it's a I suppose it's a motorway and even at that there are still people on like one side of it um, do you think that's what makes it unique is the people I think or just the history I suppose it's that much history in it it's probably a combination I think the history is really it's great to be part of something that has actually got so much meaning the, the crowd are phenomenal and I think it's a really humbling experience passing through certain parts of South Africa. It's obviously not a rich country, but mm. a lot of the time when you're in the cities, you don't really notice that. But you, you go through areas where, like, I'm not sure at what point of the course you're on, but you pass by a school for disabled children and they're all out mm. cheering and really happy and, like, you know, willing you on and... You kind of you really get a humbling sense, and you're just so appreciative that you can be run that you can run, you know. And mm-hmm. there are moments like that where you look at the side of the road and you see that, like, I mean, the enthusiasm of the supporters is is really phenomenal. And like, I think that definitely gives you a boost, particularly mm-hmm. you know in the latter stages when you really need it. Especially knowing there, because I've just done Uganda, obviously. Yeah. So when you're describing that, you're just describing the Uganda marathon for me yeah. as well. Um, they are so, as you say, full of enthusiasm, but you know they're humbling their backgrounds and what they're coming from. 
and they've given you all of this support yeah. and they really deeply mean it. Absolutely, yes. And just their, their faces are just exploding and beaming. They're, they're so expressive. Yeah. And like, I think that... Gives you an extra boost of energy, it doesn't definitely it? definitely does, yeah. Because you just realise... Yeah. How grateful of, we are, I suppose. How grateful you are that you're able, you're there, you're running, you've got, you've had such a great life to this point that has enabled you to do this you know mm. like i can fly to south africa and run a race you know like that is like that's i'm really that's a really fortunate mm. thing for me to be able to say you know because even getting on the plane and coming back i was thinking to myself like like most of the people i met there will never be on a plane mm. they won't even be out there at town you know they're lucky yeah. to have food let alone anything exactly, else yeah. you know and it becomes very humbling so tell me about the last stages of the race then because it's hard obviously you're you're starting to hurt yeah um it was absolute <laughs> agony and um <laughs> no better way to put it there it really was torture and it was there was literally every every fiber of my being was just i was doing an awful lot of positive talking to myself and i mean even i was starting to wonder if i should just shut up and let myself stop but obviously i was never going to pull out mm-hmm. although it did got, get to the point where i was like i actually had to stop and walk because my legs had just completely seized up with cramps and I at one moment thought oh don't like I, I will really I really hope that I can just get to the end I really don't want to have to pull out because I can't get to the end um but I was really struggling going up the last big climb and um the Russian girl flew past me um at great speed and well I was like barely moving at that stage and um I just thought oh no I'm just like if someone comes anywhere near me I just won't be able to react I just knew you know, like if you're past in a race, you'll mm. really try and dig in deep and hang on to them if you can. But I wouldn't have been able to react because I was just spent completely. And it was more so as well that my legs wouldn't move for me. And that was actually hard to deal with mentally because cardiovascularly I was fine, but yeah. my legs just wouldn't move. And that was, it's usually the total opposite. You're usually like, you know, really stretched yeah. to, to your limit and your legs are fine. You're like, come on, come on. I'm getting to know that feeling too well at the minute. <laughs> yeah, which is the normal yeah, feeling. It's normally your head and you're exhausted and you can't. Yeah. But when it's the other way around, you actually feel fine. Your body's not functioning for you yeah. to move forward. It's tough, like it is. And it was, a, it was a unique, it was new for me to experience that. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, I suppose when I did, I actually got to about 6k to go, I met two of the Nedbank support team and they basically just got a leg each and just like rubbed the hell out of it and <laughs> with like an ice thing, I don't know what it was exactly, but um, the, one of the guys said to me, okay, just run with your legs straight. And I thought, okay, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> At the time it was, I would have done anything anyone told me to just like try and get to the end. So I ran along with my legs straight um, for about a kilometre and I saw the 5k to go mark. I was starting to feel, my legs were starting to feel a bit better and I thought, right, I have 5k to go here. I am not giving up this position. I'm going to have to just throw caution to the wind and hope to God my legs hold up and just start running normally. And I did and thank god they actually did hold up when i got to the end and i retained the position but um i mean it was i think i had three minutes to spare or something on the fourth place at the end but like i knew i i was i knew if i had any further struggles between that the point one and the end, just wipe that three completely minutes out. wipe it in such a show yeah. you know so easily so it must have been some relief it, firstly relief Coming across the line. Firstly, really relief when I got as far as the stadium and I knew I was going to do it, and then absolute joy 
running the last hundred meters with the in front of the grandstand, which was totally full of like yeah, very enthusiastic. It's an amazing finish, isn't it? it? Comes into the stadium, yeah, full of people, like, yeah, yeah. And especially when you're one of the first runners, that was totally unique as well. Yeah. Do you know I mean the support that must have come out? Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, and you could hear the the commentary on the the loudspeaker. You know, as you're kind of approaching, and I mean, I was really. I think I was really emotional as well because mm. you're so exhausted. You've been running for so long, and it's kind of a it's a personal challenge as well as you know, like you do go through because you've been running in with your own thoughts in your head for six and a half hours or just under it. Like you're kind of like I was. I was really proud of myself that I got there mm. and that I retained the position and I was able to dig as deep as there's, I did. There's so there. many challenges come up when you're doing an ultra race, isn't yeah. it? Like, and you can't train for the well an element of putting yourself into a position mm-hmm. experience then after time yeah you start to learn a lot of stuff is just shut up and just yeah. keep going like yeah and um, but your body's sort of giving up and you're able to actually push through that as yeah. well and your body can come back yeah there's so many different things going on i was really amazed at how i could actually run in fact that i think my like my 53rd mile was like a 6 14 minute mile so i had mm. managed to get right back down after that like horrendous period of the cramping which also proved to me like I, I knew I was feeling okay you know with you know my heart and lungs but it kind of proved to me that I was okay with that mm. when it was you know when I couldn't run because it was purely just my legs but to be able to kind of bring back the it's, it's really str- it's really strange that that intrigues me and I'm still trying to work on and understand that I don't know if it's mental weakness with me doing the longer distance runs but there was one ultra I came to, it was like mile 36, and I couldn't literally lift my quads up to go over the style. Oh, yeah. The last 10k was the fastest I ran in that whole race. And every ultra I've done, the last 5k has been the fastest three miles of the whole race. Really? And wow. I don't know whether that's just a mental weakness or... No, I wouldn't think so. Your body's breaking down, but then it's, it comes back again, and it breaks down, and it comes back again. Yeah, well, a guy, actually, that I trained with, I was talking to him this week, just, and... Um, he does a lot of ultra running as well and he said that he thinks it's um, fascinating how you, your body is recovering itself as you're running mm. like so you're, if you're almost actively recovering which makes sense with what you're saying now that you go through those slow periods yeah. and fast periods again um and fuel even like you know you might have taken something you know a couple of miles down the road and all of a sudden yeah. your legs are coming back yeah you don't think like one cliff block cube is going to make that much of a difference but actually yeah it probably does yeah so. yeah so well done on that it was six hours 24 minutes like that was phenomenal mm. like were you haven't well obviously you weren't like your placing was more what you were focused on yeah but it was a historic race as well because first place was a record-breaking race yeah like she broke the six hours in the up course which is the very first time that had been done exactly wasn't yeah it? yes yeah she um, set a new course record for the up course and so it must have been great as well to be involved in that so yeah on the podium with that as well yeah. and like amazing. you know it was it was kind of being billed as a as a stacked females race a women's race and you know that it was going to be the best in like the history you know, beforehand there was huge hype about it and it was there was great expectation as to what would happen so yeah, like, I mean, it's really nice to be part of that and on the podium during that race. I do think that it's the sign of what's to come. I think it's going to be yeah. like that now, going forward, that it will become a really competitive women's field. Because women are really growing and growing in that sport. And a lot of the ultra races now, we've seen the, I was going to say, Yasmin Paris, 
the spine race. Oh, okay. um, it was two hundred and sixty-eight mile race, I think it was like. But she won the race outright. I think she knocked twelve hours off the record. Oh my goodness! Um, so it was quite famous, but there's quite a lot of female ultra runners are actually now beating the men. Mm-hmm. They're moving very fast yeah. forward on that and the ultra scene. Well, I think isn't there a point where women are supposed to be faster than men mm. once you get to a certain distance i'm not sure what it is but i think there's kind of like a curve which they will ultimately meet they found it out well (laughs) (laughs) in that race anyway um on reflection that was only a couple of weeks ago and like you've had some amazing achievements like 236 in the marathon even getting into london even though it's disappointing do you think that's going to be so far in your running career do you think that's been one of your best performances to date i do yeah it has to be your most proudest like yeah, I think that and the, the Rotterdam Marathon where I ran the 2.36 are probably my two standout performances mm-hmm. so far. Because you can hang, it's one of those ones you can hang your hat on. Yeah. At the end of your career that you were yeah. like third place in the yeah. Comrades Marathon. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. What's What's next? I got um, something in my head that would just suit you perfectly. Oh, tell me. <laughs> um, so it just happens this week. Um, Cork Ironman's on. Oh, yes. We've got Alistair Brownlee is actually debuting. Oh, very good. Okay. Cork Ironman's right. his first long distance. Oh, wow. You've obviously got a niche for long distance running. Mm-hmm. Has that ever come into your mind? The Ironman. I'd love to do the Ironman. I'd love to, I'd love to go to Hawaii and... Um, participate in the world championships mm. of the Ironman and yeah it's definitely come into my mind and I've often said I'll, I'll I will do a marathon or an Ironman at some point um you've got a history of this by the way oh, I might <laughs> somebody yeah, says something like, oh gosh yeah <laughs> so it sounds like the seat's there yeah although I have to say I just think like I, so I'm, I'm also very competitive and I like to I would prefer to race than to participate mm. And I think at where I am at the moment and with my, you know, I suppose my work life kind of available time balance, um, I think it would be very difficult for me to train for an Ironman to the point where I'd be, um, you know, appropriately competitive. Yeah. Bike takes a lot of time. Yeah. Bike takes so much time, especially Mm. for an Ironman and so would swimming. So while I, at the moment I can still do my, you know, like I suppose progress my career and run and run to you know relatively good standard I don't think I'd have that if I changed to Ironman and that's why I'll probably stick to running at the minute yeah Katrina thanks very much that was brilliant well done thank you wow I feel inspired determined motivated and grateful listening to Katrina's story it really shows that you can bounce back from anything with the right mindset I'll leave you with this quote, the pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.